0: Hi, this is ESPN's Dave Lamont, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates.
1: the sports objective here on a tuesday night if well you can be listening i'm sure anytime for this right now my good friend from lagrange and that would be kyle what's up dude oh not much i uh, just want to shout out to the jason water Corps from Greene county and uh if you want yellowish orange water
0: uh jason north carolina between and between lagrange snow is the place to be
1: That sounds good a guy that knows a lot about the legal mind like aaron brockovich stuff there and a man that you can bet on all the time and that is david glenn how are you dg I'm doing great, Dave.
2: Good to be with you and Kyle, and Bubba's around there somewhere, too. It's always good to be with
1: you. Yeah, we wanted to uh, bring you on, and I know that, uh, like you said, in the green room, uh, but uh, breaking news, we may have sports betting in North Carolina. We can touch on it a little bit as a story. It's kind of like COVID is ever-changing, but uh, I thought we could start there because we're going to dive into ACC, a lot of college football, early, early talk, and much more. But What's your take on, uh, do you think it's going to pass?
2: I think there's a really good chance it's going to pass. I'll be surprised if our state doesn't have sports betting on a more significant scale than the tiny one that is already in place. A lot of people don't even know, but there are two places in North Carolina where if you're willing to go all the way there in person, you can place a, a legal sports bet, but that is about the smallest scale you can possibly have Uh, They're actually west of Charlotte, uh, Native American reservation casinos that are pretty remote in terms of travel for most North Carolinians. So most in our state don't think we have it at all. Uh, Again, we barely do. But what's going through our state legislature right now would be a larger scale version of what a lot of other states have already adopted. And I think at some point when you have enough Uh, members of both parties agreeing on the same thing, which is rare these days, Um, it ends up just being a matter of arguing about the details of what legal sports betting is going to look like. Can you bet on college sports, for example? Can you use your phone to do it? Uh, Can you use a credit card to do it? Or do you have to have money already kind of in the bank? All those things are being debated as we speak. But because dozens of states across our country have adopted sports gambling in recent years after a Supreme Court case allowed that for the first time outside of Nevada and some other very small exceptions. Uh, I think the, the winning argument is, why let your neighboring states enjoy all that tax revenue if, if everybody's going to do it or almost everybody's going to do it eventually? I don't think North Carolina wants to be at the end of that list.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, one of the hangups could be if college sports is allowed to be included. You know, at this point, uh, I think amateurism is nonsense. It doesn't exist anymore at the highest level of college sports. Players are getting paid. Some are getting paid more than some NFL rookies. Um, So I I don't see the problem. If you're going to legalize pro sports, legalize it for college sports at this point.
2: Yeah, and I think that's probably the argument that's going to win the day. Uh, It's just one of those details that you have to iron out. You know, sometimes if you don't have enough votes, you got to pacify the next people that are kind of on the fence. And you just don't know what those points in negotiation are going to be. But I do believe that in the near future, our state is going to be one of those dozens of states that add sports gambling. It's just a matter of whether it gets through this year or not. And D.J., I thought the next topic we could bring up was uh, medical marijuana. And uh, if you think that's going to go through. (laughs) <laughs> in our in our state medical marijuana uh, always has a chance um uh, more widespread marijuana the way it is in in a lot of western states i don't see that happening in north carolina anytime soon but
0: uh, i didn't expect you to answer that that's unfortunate though. um uh, <laughs> yeah. david do you want to talk about the sports button anymore can we uh, that that's something you're really big on or did you want to move on to football mm-hmm.
1: I would just wanted to bring it up because it was something that happened today, and I know, like DG said before, I want, we wanted to touch on it because it is a relevant topic. And the only one final thing, DG, that uh, I see, they've already moved it back. We we heard that it would be sometime possibly in the fall, but now I read today um, on WRL Sports Fan that it would be January 1 at the earliest before we would have sports betting in North Carolina.
2: Yeah, and that's not unusual. Um, a lot of times what you're debating in the summer or fall is not going to be enacted until the following year but um, it just Virginia for example already has adopted a form of legal sports betting so once members of our state legislature start envisioning North Carolinians crossing the border and Virginia getting all that tax revenue um, I think that gets people who are on the fence tilted in favor of making this happen you know as early as 2023.
0: How long did it take for the lottery? I mean, it. What was it Twenty
1: years? Virginia had it before we did. It was a while. Right. Yeah. Well, here uh, the one of the best papers I ever wrote at East Carolina, and yes, I do. I'm not as good of a writer as David Glenn or Bubba Rosenbaum, but I wrote a a paper called Lottery Blockade, and basically, my point was this was fall of 1994. So way 12 years before we had the lottery, we had it in. 2006 but my point was we were losing a billion one billion dollars at that time because every state around us had it except for us and so my point was you know it wasn't about morality it was about losing one billion with a b dollars every single year so that's the thing i think you have to look at now it's not about morality it's how much money like dg said how much are we losing every single year to other states that have it and we don't
0: Mm, yeah, no, I
1: agree with you. Um
0: DG, uh, you know, we're sitting here. College baseball still going on with the College World Series. Of course, East Carolina fans uh disappointed we're not playing in it real close to making it. But so uh me mentally, i moved on to football season <laughs> <laughs> after after the Pirates got eliminated by the uh, by the Longhorns. Um uh, you know, looking I, I was, you know, kind of looking through my athlon earlier and uh Man, I think this may be overall one of the best years for North Carolina in college football in a while. I think Wake Forest, everybody talks about NC State and Clemson in the ACC this year. Clemson's going to be back. Everybody's big on NC State. Um, Nobody's given Wake Forest a lot of credit for what they did last year. You you look, Dave Clausen's a hell of a coach. He's been there now for a while. How many years has Cawson been there now, Dave?
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, over a decade at this point.
0: Yeah, he's got eight back. He's, he's got uh, nine starters back on offense, including their quarterback. I'm sorry.
2: It's, it's year eight. You're right. okay.
0: So, he got nine back on offense, including their quarterback. You got six back on defense. Um, you know, played the ACC championship last year. Uh, I think Wake's a team that um not getting the attention they deserve.
2: Yeah, and I think because Sam Hartman is going to be back, and that's one of the more proven commodities at the quarterback position – you know, pretty much anywhere in the country, I think that gives Dave Clawson that much better of a chance because uh, I, I follow the ACC most closely, but whether it's Holton Ayler staying at ECU or you know Devin Leary coming on at NC State, Miami has a kid they like in Tyler Van Dyke, uh, and the Hurricanes are using name image likeness money to throw, and not them as a school, but their boosters are throwing it around in a way that's Uh, upgraded Miami football and Miami basketball Uh, if you have your quarterback a proven commodity there uh, you always have a chance and feels like half the ACC isn't sure what it has at quarterback whereas in our state certainly Wake feels great about Sam Hartman State feels great about Devin Leary Carolina and Duke have question marks there Uh, but an ECU and an App State are two more examples where they really like what they have coming back.
0: Yeah, you mentioned NC State, and they got their quarterback, and he's a proven commodity. But to me, when I look at NC State and what scares me, with the I shouldn't say scares me because the Pirates ain't never scared of the Wolfpack, but what worries me with uh, East Carolina opening up with the Wolfpack and starters back on defense, you know, you can have a lot of hype about a lot of teams, about offense. If somebody's supposed to be really good on offense and – Sometimes that doesn't always work out, and the team's not as good as projected. But most of the time, you got 10 starters back on defense. That's going to be for real. Um, How good do you think this Wolfpack defense can be this year?
2: I think they're really good. And one thing Dave Doran has done there is just kind of start in the old-fashioned way of building from the line of scrimmage out. You know, he just sent his offensive tackle into the first round of the NFL draft. He's going to play for the Carolina Panthers. And on the defensive side of the ball, that front seven, uh, he has sent a bunch of guys into the NFL as well. And with his returning talent this this year, I just think they're going to be hard to move the ball on consistently. Yeah. And they might have the, the best linebacker core in the entire ACC, given what they have coming back.
1: Yeah. So let me ask, let me ask you, DG, um, I, I was joking with you texting yesterday, but, I think this will be a great tailgate show for DG in Greenville, NC State Labor Day weekend, September the third. Um, but as far as that game, how did the Pirates beat the Wolfpack? I know everybody is going to say how the Wolfpack will beat the Pirates, but the flip side of that is how how would the Pirates win that game?
2: I think it's about creating turnovers. You know, that's a huge part of any football game, obviously. And if you're the underdog, that's the way to get it done. Um, the pirates are going to be the underdog. There's no doubt about it. But that game's at Dowdy-Ficklin Stadium. If you break a special teams play early, or you create a turnover early, or get a pick six or something of that sort, a scoop and score—that's the kind of thing that gets the crowd believing. That's the kind of thing that gets an underdog group of players believing. Um, it, it's not like NC State is, you know, a superpower. Right. They might—they might have one of Dave Doran's best teams, but that's a big might. Um, So if you're, we've seen the Pirates as a home underdog, especially when they get off to a good start, that becomes a really difficult place to play. Uh, And and remember one thing that NC state did lose a lot of was running backs. Uh, And I mentioned that the star offensive lineman, if you can't run the ball the way state has been pretty good at running the ball, um, then it, gets a little bit less confident a little complicated to scheme for them defensively Um, if you believe it's going to be Devin Leary throwing the ball all over the place you can plan for that Um, but the the Wolfpack's best running backs are moving on to the next level and that means you have some new faces back there where you never know maybe they don't they don't block and pass protection very well maybe they don't protect the ball well on running plays there's talent at NC State at almost every position but they're they're breaking in a lot of new guys, especially at running back.
0: Yeah, that game, yeah, East Carolina State's probably gonna be a very physical football game. It always is. Um, it can be really low scoring uh, with their defense. I like Pirates defense this year. You know, we were we were pretty good last year. Got a lot of players back. I think one thing we got to get better at, I uh, want to say we, I mean East Carolina on defense, is eliminating or limiting explosion plays. That was our one weakness on defense last year. Uh we were pretty good against the run overall though, and pretty good against the pass. Just got a limited explosion plays. Um I to me for East Carolina to win that game, you know, so much of our offense this year is going to be predicated on the ability to run the ball for the first time in a long time. We're gonna have a really good O line, got two good running backs. Um we we you know our tight ends are super super solid. Obviously Holton's back. Uh, the receiver in room, you see J. Johnson's back on the team. We we lost Snead. unfortunately. Got a transfer coming in from Toledo who was there by the best wide receiver, a couple of other kids. Um, so, to me, we're going to have to be able to run the football in NC State uh, to win that game and to get our passing game going. Yeah,
2: That's we'll always be. a good recipe. I mean, keep the Wolfpack offense on the sidelines. Um, State is pretty good in the front three. They play that three 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 five. I guess they call yeah. it, um, and Savion Jackson's a really good defensive end. Corey, Dur- Corey Durden, who's a Florida State transfer, uh, is pretty good at the other defensive end slot. And then you got the Peyton Wilson, Isaiah Moore, Drake Thomas group at linebacker that's about as good as it gets. So you're going to have to be balanced. You know, that, that's the only way to move the ball against a, a really strong front six or front seven. Um, Tanner Ingle is their really good safety that kind of plays up and run protect, you know, run defense quite a bit. He's a real heavy hitter. Um, so, yeah, it's going to have to be using Holton Ayler's arm, using his legs even a little bit, getting that running game you just described going. That's the only way to move the ball against a talented defense like uh, the Wolfpack's going to bring to Greenville in September.
1: Yeah. What about uh, – we were talking about – nc state and the pirates what about duke in north carolina i know mike elko uh, is new to durham uh so Dur- duke has a came over from texas and i'm defensive coordinator yeah he's a new yeah. coach and then obviously you have mac brown uh obviously the tar heels had a disappointing year uh so did the blue devils how did they turn things around
2: well, I know some coaches think we talk too much about quarterbacks, but I, I don't know how you don't start there, whether you're talking about the teams we've already described or you're asking about Duke and Carolina. They probably have as big a question mark at the most important position on the field as anybody in the whole league uh, and, and maybe anybody in the state of North Carolina. I know ACC-wise, you know Virginia Tech's going to have to break in a new quarterback. But Duke, under that new head coach, who and Mike Elko, as you said, is a defensive guy. So he's not like the old school Steve Spurrier offensive wizard where you think he could just grab some guy off the bench and, and come up with a prolific offense. There's a red shirt freshman named Jordan Moore, and there's a true freshman named Riley Leonard. And those are, I mean, anytime you're talking about playing a freshman quarterback, that's a red flag. And that's most likely the scenario at Duke. Carolina has a guy who's been around for three years named Jacoby Criswell. And then they have Drake May, brother of former UNC basketball star Mark May, uh, who's a red shirt freshman. Uh, and a lot of people think he's going to be the one to win that job. But either way, uh, you're breaking in a new guy at the most important position on the field. And that's a, a serious concern for the Tar Heels. And that's one of the reasons you're hearing a lot more about both Wake Forest and NC State in the preseason chatter. A year ago, you were hearing a lot about the Tar Heels, but this year, not nearly as much.
0: D.J., um, I should have done my research a little better. Who did Duke hire as their OC? Who, who, who does, uh, Who's calling the, uh, the plays for the offense over there? Because, you know, Elko, defensive background, as we mentioned.
2: Uh, Duke offensive coordinator. I know I remember more about who they were trying to get than who they did get. A guy named Kevin Johns is their OC. Um, I don't know a lot about him. He's a guy that, uh, you know, you know that Mike Elko is going to only hire somebody that believes in somewhat of a balanced offense. You guys might remember know a little bit about Kevin Johns because I believe his most recent stop was at Memphis. And Memphis was among the top scoring teams in the in scoring offense and the American.
0: So did he? Did he come over? Was he their OC this past year at Memphis?
2: He was, yes.
0: Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> not, not 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 a bad offense. Uh, not a bad office coordinator. Um, uh, I, I got to tell Elko is going to struggle mightily in year one.
2: Oh, no, no. I mean, it is easier to write out the bottom of the ACC standings. It's harder to write out the top of the ACC standings. Duke is going to need a rebuilding year.
0: Yeah, or two.
2: Most, yeah, I agree. Most other places you look, there's optimism. And obviously yeah. not everybody's going to do well, but there's legitimate reasons. And, you know, Georgia Tech could struggle again. Syracuse could struggle again. Uh, I I do think Mike Norvell will be interesting to watch at Florida State in his third year because he's only got eight wins through his first two seasons there. Um, So those are the schools, along with Duke, that may struggle. But almost everywhere else you look, there's reason for optimism, whether it's, you know, uh, Boston College is getting better every year and they have a possible NFL quarterback in Phil Dracovic. Uh, Brendan Armstrong decided to stay at QB at UVA, so he'll be a fifth-year guy. We mentioned Devin Leary at State and Sam Hartman at Wake, uh, and Miami thinks it has an NFL guy in Tyler Van Dyke. Um, so we'll see what happens with at Clemson, obviously. They still have a quarterback question after that being a major headache for the Tigers last year. Um, Malik Cunningham decided to stay at Louisville. He's a sixth-year senior quarterback for Scott Satterfield and the Cardinals. So I'm that that that's why there's so much op- optimism around the ACC, yeah. um, just not yeah. at not at Duke, not not right away.
0: I do want to talk about Louisville a little bit in a minute, but I want to touch on North Carolina a little bit more. Uh, Chizik coming back Steve as defense coordinator, uh, yeah. kind of surprising. Uh, Ch- Chizik, man, what, what what is his deal? He he he, he you know, he, he gets out of coaching, becomes the DC at UNC, gets offered the head coaching job at East Carolina, doesn't take it, yeah. then gets out of coaching again. Now he's back at the, as, as defensive coordinator at UNC. What is what is up with Chizik?
2: Yeah, a lot of times when coaches bring up family, it's e- most of the time in my experience when they bring up family, it's either sort of a, a blanket throwaway line because they don't want to give the real answer, mm-hmm. or sometimes it is a family issue. They just don't want to specify what it is. In this particular case, I, I honestly believe Gene Chizik when he says – that he was watching his children grow up before his eyes. And the lifestyle of a college football coach takes you away from your family to an extreme degree. And his children had become high school age, and he just could not sleep at night. If he coached for another four years, didn't watch his sons play high school football, didn't watch the children grow up. I really believe him when he, and he's a very spiritual guy. I really believe that he had kind of a moment of truth and said, I've got to get away from this. I'm going to watch my kids grow up and go off to college. And then if I still feel I have it in me, I'll go back to college coaching. Um, and, of course, he's known Mac Brown a long time. So right. that and, and he liked his time in Chapel Hill, and they liked him. Um, actually, I think under Larry Fedora, that was about the only good defense. Right
1: it, it
0: was, yeah. You know, and, and his she's, uh, questionable as head coach despite winning the national championship. He had a Gus on, but nobody questions his ability Agreed. as a defensive coordinator. He yeah. is a hell of a defensive coordinator. Um, their defense will be approved. I got one more thought on UNC, and it's something that I could not find an answer to. DG, I don't know if you're going to have the answer. And I Googled it, and, you know, you can't find it on Google, man. I mean, it <laughs> might not be out there. Um, week zero, okay? You got the Hawaii rule. That's one reason you can play week zero games. Um, there's some Conference USA teams playing week zero games because of uh, the, the the schools leaving for the Sun Belt last minute uh, because they didn't have to pay an exit fee. So CUSA had to redo their schedule. So schools like Charlotte, for example, is opening up with Florida Atlantic on week zero. You know, I, I know why Florida State's opening up with Duquesne week zero. Uh, Duquesne's playing at Hawaii, so they fall under the Hawaii rule. They got to schedule an extra game. Duquesne's going to make more money playing a road game at Florida State than they would another home game. Why is UNC opening up with Florida A&M? How did they get that waiver? Florida A&M is not playing at Hawaii. Neither is North Carolina.
2: Do you know the situation of why UNC gets to play a week zero game? I do not know the answer to that. No. Um, and it is unusual. I mean, it's not like something. Yeah, you got to have a reason. NCA, we East Carolina was going to
0: open up with Marshall on week zero in 2020 because it was the uh, 50th anniversary of the crash. And we got a waiver from the NCAA to play week zero. So you have to have a reason. Um, is there a reason they just want to get a game in before they have to go to App State? And the NCAA said, okay,
2: we'll give you that waiver. Well, um, probably not. Um, <laughs> the the you the NCAA can be stubborn that way. I do know that that game is going to be an ACC network game. So a lot of times you just say, well, that's the power of television. But in this case, you're, you're – even the power of television is not going to have the NCAA turn, you know, uh, this right. rule. So I don't know the answer to that. And those two schools, by the way, have never played each other in the sport of football. It's wow.
0: crazy.
1: Uh,
2: so.
0: No, the only thing I can figure, I, I did look at Florida a and ms schedule because I was trying to figure this out and they play in a, um, the, the, the following week, they play in some kind of game, um, at the Orange Bowl, a neutral site game. So they're, uh, that takes away from a home game. So maybe the, maybe because you know HBCU status, the NCAA was more lenient with them giving them an the opportunity to make a little extra money because they're losing a the home game by playing that neutral site game. I, I, I don't know. I, I'd love to know the answer to that. If anybody watching knows why UNC was given that waiver or Florida A&M was given that waiver to play Week Zero, please. Because I may be the only person that actually cares. But uh, you
2: know, it's it's interesting is that that game was originally scheduled for September, and okay. they moved they moved it, and it it may make more sense that it was Florida A and M that got the waiver um, for
0: that neutral site game. Um, I, you're gonna have to look and see who that is, but I believe it's in Week Two. Uh, played, I believe it's gonna be played at the Orange or down in um, Campy World Stadium or somewhere. There's some neutral site game that they're playing um, like an HBCU kickoff classic kind of thing.
1: Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, Johnny Gardner has a great uh, thing here for you, DG chiming in tonight for fun. DG, if you can compare and contrast Doran and Syndek expectations, <laughs> accomplishments relate to fan base, etc.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, I have a lot of friends who are Wolfpack fans and I've had a lot of people who write to me or, used to call the show, and they often make the comparisons personality-wise. A lot of Wolfpack fans think that those guys are very dry personalities. And, of course, at that university, some of their greatest success came under some of the most colorful personalities, right? I mean, it's hard to beat Jim Valvano on the basketball side of the famous cardiac pack, and – the only 10 or more win season in school history on the football side came under a very colorful figure named Chuck Amato as the head coach. So, I mean, in the end, you got to win games. But over 10 years, it was, I remember Herb Sendek missed the NCAA tournament his first five years, made it the next five years, but still left town because it was such a hostile environment. He never clicked with the Wolfpack fan base. They didn't like his Carnegie Mellon logic and his high IQ and his day tight compartments, and they got tired of losing to the Tar Heels and among others. Um, Dave Doran is probably, a, I think, I think he's a little bit more relatable than Herb Sendek was, but I've heard some of the same complaints. And again, those complaints tend to die down when the Wolfpack wins football games. Um, last year was a good year for the Pack, but a lot of those same fans thought that it should have been even an, an even better year, and it was a missed opportunity given the talent that they had on hand. So there are some interesting parallels there. They both have had, um, I would argue, more – I would say better than average success. I mean, it, it, her, who's taken the Wolfpack to a whole bunch of NCAA basketball tournaments her, since Herb Sendek did it five times in a row, right? Exactly. Um, And certainly, we've seen some train wreck tenures in Wolfpack football as well. And Dave Doran has gotten them on a nice little roll. So, probably a lot of comparisons between those two. And it's just a matter of uh, how how things end.
0: D.G., do you watch The Office?
2: Sometimes, yeah.
0: Do you know who Toby is on The Office? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's Dave Doran. (laughs) <laughs> Good. Yeah, i mean you think about it next time you're watching the office think about it um i okay well we're, we're we're made fun of dave doran enough great coach not most of the personality i've heard people cleverly call him dave boring hey how about that yeah um I've heard that. yeah we're, i'm gonna get out of the acc for a minute um talk about some other teams in the region um app state um do they just get a new office coordinator every year? Is this four straight years they've had a new O.C.? And it just don't seem to matter. They just they just keep being at State and doing at State things. Sean Clark's in year three. Um, they got uh, Their new O.C. is Kevin Barbe. He uh, came over from Central Michigan um, where he was with McElwain, uh, which I thought was an interesting move and interesting hire. He did a good job there as O.C. Um, they got uh, Chase Price back at quarterback. I guess this this, you know, I I thought he was done. I, is he getting an extra year of eligibility because of COVID? Yeah. Okay. Is, yeah. But just your thoughts on App and how they just keep rolling with a different OC every year.
2: I think it really goes to the culture that they've built in that program. They are a multi-time FCS national champion before they yeah. obviously jump to FPS and I think I've been out there. Actually, my daughter is a sophomore at App State, as we speak, or just finished her sophomore year. So I've been to a lot of games out there, including on the big tailgate tour that I used to do. And in that league, in the Sunbelt Conference, it is one of the best game day environments. And I I think uh, App State even occasionally beats other programs for recruits who could have gone to a bigger school. And it's in part because – They're jam packed with fans every home game. They go to a bowl game every year at the FBS level, just as they went to the playoffs almost every year at the FCS level. And kids like winning. And, you know, when you lose Scott Satterfield to Louisville as your head coach, but Sean Clark, a member of his staff, wants the job and wants to stay and gets the job. Well, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You, you you know, and, and there was, of course, another. Coach for one year in between, um, in Eli. Yeah. Drinkwitz. But uh, the continuity that was lost by the Eli Drinkwitz experiment um, was regained by getting Sean Clark, the program's former assistant head coach and co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. That means there's a lot more that stayed the same through those transitions than changed, and I think it gets back to culture and recruiting. That school loves football. The way you know, ECU loves baseball and sometimes football.
0: And I believe Sean Clark. Well, we always love football, we're just not always really good at it. Yeah, uh, I uh, Sean, Sean Clark, uh, I believe was actually stayed on Eli's staff. I don't think he followed uh, uh, Satterfield to Louisville, if I remember right. Um, no, I think you're right. I um, he, and you mentioned uh, but being one of the best uh, atmospheres in the uh, Sun Belt, uh, they keep in mind that that they're gonna get a little competition for that now with Marshall and Southern Miss. True. joining the league uh, two good atmospheres and uh sometimes it's the league that has done a great job of of changing the perception of the league a lot of that's had to do with apps consistency the rise of coastal carolina um now you bring in marshall and southern miss and that league's just this whole image has totally changed over the last 10 years
2: yeah heck on. at this point i feel like sometimes i need a A roster a game day program to remember who's in what league conference yeah you ain't kidding it wait for
0: the american next year good god
2: right hey i mean the the silver lining even though it's going to be a lesser league in a sense to me it makes mike houston's longer term job more manageable because you're not banging your head against cincinnati every year
0: yeah it's just I, i i don't like a lot of the ads in the american i think uh I think going for media markets and adding teams solely for media markets is a bit short-sighted, particularly when we're headed towards, I think in the next 10 years, it's all going to be streaming. And you're really going to – Nelson ratings aren't going to matter anymore. You're really going to have a true, a true head count of who's streaming what. And I think that's going to change. The, I think that's maybe when East Carolina is going to have this opportunity forever going to move up, when the actual eyeballs watching the game are counted rather than just media market and uh, how many advertisement revenue you, you can generate by being Birmingham or Charlotte when nobody gives a damn about UAB or UNC Charlotte. Speaking of UNC Charlotte, um, they uh, – you know, Will Healy is a good office of mine. He's had his ups and downs since he's been there. He's got eight back on offense, including his quarterback. They can't ever play defense. Um, and I don't see that changing this year. But uh, in, in, in Conference USA uh, for the last year before they moved to the American – I don't know if you've done much research on the 49ers. I, I ain't going to score a lot of points, but they're going to give up a lot of points too.
2: No, I think that's the the rule of thumb for them. They do have a charismatic young coach in Will Healy. Uh, he's a former college quarterback himself, and he kind of set the world on fire for a few years when he was the head coach at Austin P. Charlotte is a really young program. I mean, it, literally the the football program at – Charlotte didn't even exist 20 years ago. Um, so they don't have history to sell. They they don't have what we were just talking about at App State or what we can talk about with ECU or a lot of these other programs. So I, I my guess is the next time he has a great year, he'll probably try to, to move on. I mean, he took Charlotte to the first bowl game in the history of the program yep. as a rookie head coach with the 49ers, uh, three, 2019 it was, so – um it's just a hard place to win there's it's a it's a little bit of a commuter school I know they're trying to shake that reputation but it's not really that so it's a strange environment to try to build a college football program in um and I give him credit because he's done better than uh, well he's done better than his predecessor and that in itself is an accomplishment
1: yeah. I have a question for you guys. And DG, you may know the answer to this. Where will be the next football team to go FBS in North Carolina? They don't have a football team now and it was a and it's a school, you know very well DG. Right, I'm not going to go FBS. You mean FCS? Well, they'll start they'll have to start out FCS of course, but Coach Logan said that would be the one job that he would love to have well, if Corpo started the football program. Yeah, that's probably true. That's I assume team.
2: You're talking about what? UNC Wilmington? Yes. No, I I don't think there's any movement. They don't have the money.
1: No. Yeah. Here's the, well, here's the thing. They have a, the problem they have right now is they have, uh, I can't think of the name of the family. That's uh, a really big donor. Their son got paralyzed uh, playing football. And they said, as long as they were living, if UNCW ever had like added football, they would stop giving. So that's well,
0: if that if that one donor makes that much difference, Dave, then they don't have a lot of money. It, it is but,
2: insanely expensive to start a football program from scratch. It really yeah. is.
0: Yeah, and they don't. And they don't have. Charlotte had the path when they started theirs. They knew that they were pretty much going to get in Conference USA because of the previous ties to Conference USA before they left to go to Atlantic Ten, and they did. As soon as they started the program, they got in Conference USA immediately. You know, never even really played FCS football. Went straight to FBS and. Now they're going to the American again because they're in Charlotte. I am thankful that they're expanding their stadium uh, from 15,000 initially to 21,000. And I think plans to expand it to 30. That way maybe some Pirate fans can attend some games and we're going to have to be in the same league with those clowns. But it is what it is. Um, How do you really feel? Well, I mean, I I just, you know, it really irritates me that East Carolina said to fight and claw and scratch to even get into the American. And Charlotte's in just because of the population of the city. And uh, yes. that it makes me sick.
1: Hey, DG, I wanted to ask you a question, something that's uh, and I hadn't had a chance to talk to Kyle about. But while we have you, one of the most awkward things I've ever seen in my life is the Big 12 right now, where they're going to have the, the, the American speaking of the American schools leaving. Plus, Oklahoma and Texas are still going to be there because I guess they didn't have the money lying around. Um, like everybody said, and that that scheduling. Oh, is- uh, you, do do you really think that Texas
0: and Oklahoma aren't gonna aren't gonna be in the in the in the, in the SEC next year?
1: No.
2: Next year, you mean tw- You mean a year from now, not this fall, right? Correct,
0: yeah. Twenty three. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a matter of money. Oklahoma and Texas are going to pay the bigger fee. Yes. Um, but yeah, we we know what the upcoming academic year is going to look like. It's just too late for those things to change.
0: Oh but, no no no. But yeah. right, right now the right now it's being as we sit today.
2: Yeah.
0: Oklahoma and Texas are supposed to join the SEC in July of twenty four, but UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati are joining the Big Twelve in July of twenty three. Right. So and it and makes a lot
2: up. it makes a lot of sense for the Sooners and the Longhorns to to leave a year yeah. one year from right now, basically.
0: Yeah, and I think they'll figure out how
2: and play. isn't it crazy by the way that Speaking of your reference earlier to the College World Series, four of the eight teams in Omaha are SEC members. Two more are yeah. soon to be SEC members. Well, Texas. one of them, the, one of them's gone. the
0: Texas is gone now. I
2: mean, it's crazy. So it was basically six SEC teams: yeah. Notre Dame of the ACC and Stanford of the Pac-12. And guess what? Those two are out. So it's truly like an. A, a current and future SEC affair as we speak. Speaking
0: of uh, the SEC, um, and we'll circle back around uh, if we want to talk any South Carolina, Clemson, Coastal to cover South Carolina teams, but just the SEC kind of, the the, stir, the, kind of, the, the straw that kind of stirs the drink and all this conference realignment nonsense, power five, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I heard Herb Street mention this recently and, I really believe it's going to happen. Um, you know, I keep seeing talks of uh, the Power Five schools or the majority of the Power Five schools uh, leaving the NCAA in, in football. I, that's not what I think is going to happen. I think there's just going to be a third tier of Division One in football, uh, which is semantics, whether they leave the NCAA or it's the third tier of Division One in the NCAA. Do you see that happening? Because I do. I, I do. I think with NIL, um, the way it is now, Uh, the SEC and some of these other Power Five programs getting more and more money, getting more and more greedy. Um, I I think you're going to have about a 50, 40 to 50 team highest level of Division I college football before before too long.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out because the Big Ten and the SEC have a lot more money than everybody else. And, of course, name, image, likeness money depends far more on – the wealth of your alumni and, yep. and the wealth of your boosters. And that's going to take an already on level playing field and make it even more on level. What's going to be interesting is nobody wants to be the school that has been a member of the big boys, but says we're going to be tier two. Now there's going to be a massive amount of pressure on those schools yep. and their boosters to not, take a, uh, you know, move a peg down the ladder. And I don't know how that part's going to shake out because even I know the ACC as well as anybody, there are really wealthy programs with deep rich traditions in football, which of course pays most of the bills nowadays. Uh, you know, and a Clemson and a Florida state obviously can keep up with the Joneses if they want to. Um, but Miami is not a wealthy university. Um And some of these other schools, the smaller private schools, don't typically have as much money. You know, the Boston Colleges and Wake Forests of the world. They, they, But but are they going to go from 70 years of being at the top level? Uh, That's just how the ACC happens to be turning 70 soon. Um, That's a long time. That's multiple generations. And I have an easier time seeing which schools will stay on the top level I have a harder time guessing who's going to sell to their fan base and their alumni. We're going to take a step down. That just doesn't happen very often.
0: And it would be in football only. I can see Duke doing it in football. um, I, I think everything will say the same in basketball and everything else, but I think this is going to be a football only issue. Duke, for example, is somebody that I definitely can see doing it in football beyond that. I don't know. Um, you know, Wake Forest is another one that you, you know you didn't mention them, but they're on the, another one that comes to mind. Can NC they compete? State? Can can they compete in this current environment? You know, if there is a a third tier of Division One college football, can, you know, are they going to be able to do it?
2: I think the attitude at Wake Forest would be, we've already had a much smaller stadium than everybody else we've already had a much smaller athletics budget than everybody else. We've already had less football winning tradition than everybody else. And yet, you know, we just played in an ACC title game or we we just, you know, Jim Grobe helped us win it all only a decade and a half ago, you know, Um, they know who they are. And I think one more layer that, you know, makes them a little, makes it a little harder for them to win is not something that they're unfamiliar with.
1: What about DB? It's it's what, not about easy what about state? Do you think they can keep up?
2: Well, so much of this depends on how how do things unfold. Do things unfold in a way that this is just a hypothetical? But what if there are, for TV reasons, a couple of mega conferences? And I mean, you know, just think out loud. Yeah. The, the Big Ten is sort of, you know, the North Pole and, it, and, and adds other schools. And the SEC is like the South Pole, but yeah. also adds, continues to add other schools, as we just saw them do with Oklahoma and Texas. I know for, with an absolute certainty that the Big Ten has tried to lure the University of North Carolina to, to the Big Ten. Uh, they have not been interested in an NC state or a wake forest, for example. So I do think UVA and UNC as large public universities with strong sports traditions, but also big alumni bases, et cetera, um, you know, they would be up for something like that. It's harder to predict for the others, you know, which schools would the S the SEC would love Clemson and Florida state, obviously. Right. Um s- so it, it it may become in part how desirable are you, and I like what Kyle said. We are we're moving away from it's insane for how many decades major financial decisions were based on size of market rather than how many people care. I um, fifteen or plus, so years ago, I was trying to explain to people. I once lived in Miami. My sister once lived in Boston. It's one thing to say that Boston College is in the greater Boston area and University of Miami is in the greater Miami area. It is a totally different thing thing to say that they are part of the sports conversation every day. They're not. They're just not. In the Boston area, man, it's the Bruins and it's the Celtics and it's the Red Sox and it's the Patriots and then maybe – Maybe if Boston College does something spectacularly good or spectacularly bad, they're in the headlines. Miami has a little bit more gusto in South Florida, but they're still behind several pro teams and and even other forms of sports and entertainment. So uh, those those factors, how many people care, how many are watching are going to become bigger and bigger deals And we could all put a list together of, you know, which ACC schools we know will deliver those eyeballs and which in in part, like it's not a slap at Wake Forest to say, when you're a small private university, you simply don't have as many alums. Exactly. It it doesn't mean we're making fun of you. You just, you don't have a statewide passionate fan base the way, say, the Tar Heels and the Wolfpack would have. Or even the Pirates. Or the Pirates. And you, you just what's the size of a graduating class? I mean, some of these schools are cranking out you know tens of thousands of graduates a year on top of the hundreds of thousands they already have out there. What does Wake graduate? A thousand people? (laughs) Exactly, it's tiny. And over time, you know, those numbers add up in all the wrong ways for Wake Forest and all the right ways for some of these monster universities.
0: Yeah. And, and that's, you know, back to why I disagreed with what the American did during conference realignment. They went solely after media markets. You know, they, they got Charlotte, they got Birmingham. Uh, you know, they took Florida Atlantic. I don't know if that was a media market or just Florida in general. I don't know that the Boca Raton media markets that sold after, uh, you know, Houston with rice. Um, it, it, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, North, North Texas was, that one really is a head-scratcher. The, Ameri- the American already has the Dallas media market with SMU. And until SMU, you know, if they join the Big 12 at some point, then go grab North Texas if you want that media market. Why in the world the American brought in North Texas with, you know, the only thing they do bring is the Dallas media market. And the American already has it. And these media market arguments, I, again, I think as we get into the, the, the streaming as becoming the predominant platform, I really believe uh, they're going to go away because it's not going to be about Nielsen ratings and stuff. You're going to be able to see with streaming exactly who's watching what and how many eyeballs are on the games. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out um, over the next five to ten years uh, on two levels with media rights, deals, media markets, and then, of course, the highest level of college football. Uh, If there is a true breakaway where the power five and, you know, is it all going to be like you like we were talking about, DJ, is it going to be the entire power five? You you mentioned North pole, South pole, you know, is the big 10 going to go to 20 SEC go to 20 and there's your 40. And it's like the NFL. It's going to be
2: interesting to see, and I'm not sure where it's going to go, but I'll tell you that TV, there will be
0: lawsuits.
2: Yeah. Right. (laughs) TV executives do have extensive data on the eyeballs that you're talking about. Um, in other words they know for example around here this is a basketball example but the three most watched basketball games of the 2022 calendar year were North Carolina Tar Heel basketball games that's and that includes the NBA it's still Um,
0: antiquated it's still Nielsen ratings. it's still not an exact
2: science and that's that but that shows it's The eyeball test involves not only the size of your alumni base, but at the highest level, it involves your brand. And when you say Carolina in 49 states, they know you mean the Tar Heels. The Tar Heels weren't getting bigger audiences than even the NBA Finals, simply because they were a cute story with a rookie head coach that went from an eight seed all the way to the national championship game. Part of it is the power of the brand and I've lived in the Northeast and in South Florida, and I can tell you, people know the Carolina brand. NC State doesn't have a national brand. Yeah. It doesn't. You know, um, Duke, because of basketball, has a certain narrow national brand. ECU does not have a national brand. So, uh, Hell, half
0: the time they can't even get our name right. We're Eastern Carolina. You know, right?
2: <laughs> it, but... It's going to be this fascinating combination of not only the eyeballs that you would think matter most, which are those alums, those boosters, those students, et cetera, but it's also that broader sense of how many other people care. When you see this school's name, do you tune in because it's the school? Even if you forget who the coach is that year and you forget if their record is any good that year, you just tune in because it's Kentucky basketball or you tune in because it's something else. TV executives have data on this stuff. Like these, these Conference USA candidates have more sway than these others. Um, these new American teams have more sway than these others. I don't have – it's propri- proprietary data. I don't have all of it. I've gotten little snippets from some investigative journalism over the years. But uh, they, they protect that stuff as if it's their war chest because, as you've been saying, Kyle, moving forward – That is going to be the measuring stick. Um, TV will matter matter a while longer, but the bottom line for any company is you don't really care how people are consuming you. You just want a whole lot of people who care enough to consume you, whether it's through satellite TV, cable TV, new wave streaming, something we haven't even heard of yet. It starts with how many people care about your athletics program and especially how many people care about your football team because that's what's paying most of the bills.
1: DG, I have one question I have for you is uh, we're talking about the Pirates. How do they make the next level to, how do they get to the so-called Power Five?
2: Well, it would be great to dominate the new American, right? And And that, the door is cracked for that possibility. Mike Houston's Got a proven track record. He has the arrow pointed in the right direction. And now the competition, not this fall, but soon, the competition's going to get a little less tough. So if you can be the one to dominate, and that means you keep filling your stadium, and that means it improves your athletics budget, and that means maybe you can improve your stadium and your other facilities, that, that makes you more attractive to another league at some point. Um, But in the short term, it's about winning, and it starts with winning in football. And that's easier said than done, but Mike Houston knows that that's his job description. As much as we all love ECU baseball, it doesn't pay enough of the bills. Um, The second most important sport in the national landscape is men's basketball, and we know ECU has had a historically bad time getting any traction in that sport. So it, it really falls on the football coach at most universities, um, but especially at the football first universities, and that's not just ECU. I mean, that's Florida State, that's Clemson, that's no. Tech. There's a whole lot of schools that, that there are there are still exceptions where you know Jim Boeheim and Syracuse basketball pay for a lot of bills. Louisville basketball, when it's going well, pays for a lot of bills. Uh, Kentucky basketball, obviously Duke and Carolina, some others. But generally speaking, we're in a football first world man. The NFL is the most popular sport and the wealthiest sport in the history of the world. Not an exaggeration, more, more lucrative than any international soccer league or any, anything It is the wealthiest league in the history of the world. So that shows what people think of football at the professional level. And as you said, Kyle, college football, college sports in general are half semi pro at this point. Yep. And, um, College football's ratings for those for the playoff for for a lot of the championship conference championship games and even some of the higher profile early season or holiday games or um, you know just intersectional matchups those are audiences that you just don't see in other college sports uh, for the most part even including men's basketball
0: yeah for East Carolina to get to the Power Five I I, I think. It, it would be the Big 12, and what would have to happen is East Carolina w- would have to dominate the American in football, I would say, three or four years in a row. Houston would have to stay, we'd have to make a great hire to replace them, keep dominating, and uh, the Big 12 is going to have to decide they want the North Carolina market, um, and that East Carolina can deliver to them, which we can. It's kind of like the reverse argument I make about UAB, and uh, you know, I think, I think uh, Coach has done a great job down at UAB with their football program, um, you know. But you know, a lot of the people when UAB was brought into the American uh, starting next year for football, Birmingham's the number one market in America for college football. Well, they sure are, but nobody is watching UAB. Yeah, they're watching Alabama and Auburn. Uh, so, to me, and I love Mike Resco, but I think again, I'm, 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 I'm repeating myself. I think he was very short-sighted on his abs, uh just going out to the markets. DG, think,
1: go ahead, Dave. But what do you think, though, that he – I mean, being a former executive of – Yeah, he, the he's, going,
0: States, he's, he's, B- going, he's going by antiquated data. They're killing him. He's but going no, by I'm antiquated kidding. data. He, he, it's, it's antiquated. The, the, uh, What what kind of television rights revenue has Congress USA had with Charlotte and UAB and, and UTSA and, and North Texas? They haven't had none. If they did, they wouldn't be leaving for the American and for the Sun Belt. Um, the C-USA has had their games <laughs> on Stadium, CBS Sports Network, and Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> yeah, Facebook. So, I mean, it, it didn't have C-USA at all. DG, UNC, and, uh, and, and App State in Boone week one, NC State in Greenville week one. Uh, are you going to go to either one? And which one, if, if you are, which one, which one are you leaning towards?
2: Gosh, I haven't even thought about that yet. I'm going to be in Boone in the month of August to drop off my daughter at college. <laughs> and uh, it is a shorter drive to Greenville, even though my son is not at ECU anymore. He is a happy ECU grad now working in Richmond, Virginia. Um, usually I'll take that one hour and change drive over that three hour drive. If it's a close call, like and I, I would be interested in either of those football games for obvious reasons, but, I'm more likely to be at that ECU game. Um, I I get to App State every year pretty much in part because my daughter is there now, so I could catch a different game out there. Um, But, yeah, some of my favorite games over the years have been uh, state ECU in Greenville, Carolina ECU in Greenville. I've just – I've been on the field for some of them, and, and the environment is something that I really cherish.
0: Yeah, it'll be a great environment that day. I would say the only advantage to going to Boone, I don't know what time the kickoff is, but even if it's twelve noon, I can guarantee you, uh, twelve noon kickoff in Boone is going to be a lot cooler than that twelve noon kickoff in Greenville for <laughs> That
2: is true. That is true. Uh, you don't want to be in Boone in early December, <laughs> uh, dropping my daughter off for the spring semester. We went skiing, literally. You know, so yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. But, but yeah, the spring and the fall in Boone is just beautiful.
1: No doubt. No. DG, uh, Johnny Gardner wants to know about your thoughts for the new EC basketball coach, Mike Schwartz. Do you have any thoughts on him at all?
2: I don't know him that well, I don't know him personally. Um, and I can't say that I was bowled over by the decision, I, you know. It's not a brand name that's going to elevate ECU basketball in any way, not to take anything away from what he has accomplished elsewhere. Um, and heck, Coach Dooley was one of the more successful coaches that I've seen in men's basketball at ECU uh, in his two tenures, obviously. So I don't see that as an automatic upgrade, and he's going to have to prove me otherwise, Pro- prove, prove otherwise. And as I be
1: said before, uh, DG, when you have a guy that goes 15 to 15 as, you know, 500, like we're not talking about North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky going 500, that would be insane. They would probably get their, you know, their butt would get the pink slip, but we're talking about a program that's only had two winning seasons and I don't know how many years, Bubba knows yeah. the exact yeah. term. Uh, D, D, DG, you know, we, we've talked about this at
0: nauseam. Uh, I. Dave was very vocal. He loved Joe Dooley. I didn't think Dooley should have been fired. I thought it was a stupid decision. But the, to me, the dumber decision, and and to me, if you're going to fire him, you know, I I was looking at, you know, who we should hire, who's out there. The decision was made to fire Dooley. Why not go after somebody like Wojciechowski, now, somebody that's got brand name in this area. He was successful head coach at Marquette. Yeah, he, at the end, at Marquette, it wasn't so well, but he did well there at times. He, he, everybody, you know, you, you got half East Carolina fans or Duke basketball fans anyway. If, if you were going to fire Dooley, why not bring in somebody like Wojciechowski?
2: I would have gone for somebody like Lavelle Moten at NC Central. It'd, it'd be hard to get him to leave his alma mater, and I don't know his perception of the ECU job. Um, but you want to talk about a guy, you know, that guy has 50 NBA players in his Rolodex. He knows every AAU coach there is to know. Yeah, his name came up.
1: Um, um, Dually, they hired Dooley instead of him. He, especially in the
2: out. in the trans in the transfer portal era, I think he would have been a fascinating roll of the dice. But uh, but yeah, you, ECU basketball simply does not sell itself. No. So my perspective would be the 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 brand would have to be the name of that head coach.
0: That's why I said Wojcikowski.
2: Well, right. right. And, and so, you don't have that right now. You didn't have a lot of it with Coach Dooley, but I think you have even less of it right now because at least he could point to things he had done with the Pirates. Well, um, I think Dooley
0: was about a year away from probably yep. – you know, he was coming up the last year of his contract. It was year four, you, you can't leave a coach one year left on the contract. I'd have given him a one-year extension. And, you know, if he won 18, 19 games next year, then giving him a real extension. I, I don't know why that wasn't done. Um, I do really uh, him and Gilbert didn't get along yep. and Gilbert wanted to bring in his boy from Tennessee. Um, and, uh, you know, we're supporting him he's our head coach. Uh, but, you know, I, I just don't see it moving the needle. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, you know, but it, it'll be interesting how year one goes, uh, we, you know, uh, we have, you know, most of our players transferred out. Uh, he has a reputation for recruiting internationally. Um, so that should be interesting at East Carolina. That could be a good thing for us because we do, you know, the, this is day and age of transfer portal. So uh, that could kind of change everything for ECU also. And it kind of already was under Dooley, both good and bad.
1: Um,
0: I, you know, international recruiting could be good for us because we've never done well in state.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing for us is that you talk about Power Five. One thing for me is um, you got to have a good basketball program. The Big 12, uh, no matter whatever Power Five league, they're not going to take an East Carolina because our basketball program is so bad. So if you were smart, and I'm saying this to the administration, and you know what, I'm a big boy. I've given a lot of money to the school. I went to the school. I've covered the school, two different stints. Um, I have a lot at stake. So if they want to bet me on who's going to be a pirate when they die, um, I, I win that bet every time and my personal thing is simply we fire a coach every like four years every four five four and a half years was the stat and where where does where have we gotten with that firing a coach every four years so when you see a guy moving the program in the right direction I don't care if I don't get along with the guy if he's winning that's what I care about because I'm the athletic director right I mean, so now if, you, if we won 15 games, if we win eight or 10 games next year, is that a, a step in the right direction? I'm asking the administration just because it was not a – most of the time, DG, you know this very well, covering for, what, 35 years or more your journalism, um, your talent. It's a business decision. It's not because I didn't like the whoever the coach is. It's because they're not winning enough games. There's problems with the program, whatever this particular case, this was a personal decision and those personal decisions have haunted us at East Carolina over and over again over the last decade. And we could do a whole hour's worth on just that. Um, But uh, that's why I was so vocal. It was not because of a coaching change. It was why the coaching change happened and something we've known about, honestly, behind the scenes uh, for two years, Uh, we've known this has been a problem. And so, a very bad, uh, someone who knows about it personally, a very bad divorce. And um, I hope Coach Dooley does well. And you know what? If Coach Schwartz does great, we'll applaud him. We're not going to be pulling against East Carolina, obviously. Right. Um, you know, we're going to be pulling for the Pirates. But they they need to do a lot of stuff marketing-wise. Uh, there's so many things I've told them behind the scenes I'm willing to do for free to help them out because it's my alma mater. There's so many people like Kyle that maybe not be the biggest basketball fans, but when it comes to helping out his favorite school, he's willing to do it, Um, Bubba, myself. Um, So we'll see how it uh, turns out. But uh, one other thing I want to ask about, speaking of disappointments, uh, obviously Hurricanes, very disappointing year. Uh, uh, Does Rod Brennamore keep his job? You're, You're personal friends with him.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think they just didn't quite have as much firepower as the teams that are still standing, anybody watching Colorado against Tampa Bay, those are just rocket fueled hockey franchises right now. I mean, they have defensemen who are of all-star caliber. They have a half a dozen guys who are really good at putting the puck in the net. And the Canes have some of that. And the Canes did have the best season, regular season in the history of the franchise, including their time as the Hartford Whalers. So, uh, Almost everybody agrees that Rod Brindamore is part of the solution, and the owner, Tom Dundon, is one of those. So Rod's job is safe. They have some decisions to make about free agents. The good news for Canes fans nowadays is that whereas the previous ownership rarely spent close to the cap, the current owner has shown a willingness to do that. And I think the fans appreciate that. You can't keep everybody, obviously, in a salary cap league, um, but the nucleus is coming back, you know, Sebastian Ajo and Andrei Svechnikov and Jacob Slavin's one of the best defensemen in the league. And and, and is a very good defenseman. And there's Jarvis is a really talented young guy. So the nucleus is strong. It's just a matter of how they do. What do they lose in free agency? What do they add in free agency? And even, you know, can they get a little luckier next year? Their, their starting goalie who was played in the All-Star game, Frederick Anderson, was hurt for the entire playoffs. Um, Now, his backup did well, and that wasn't the reason they lost, but a little injury luck wouldn't hurt. Um, As you look forward, the Canes are going to be a playoff-caliber team again, and uh, given the – what was it? I think they made it one time in a 10-year period. They're making it every year under Rod Brindamore. So that theme should continue, and it's just a matter of whether they can take it a little further than they did this past season. DJ,
0: I got one more question for you um, before we start to wrap this up. And I don't even know if this is a topic you know anything about, but uh, it's something that kind of fascinates me, and it kind of started under COVID, and it continues. Um, have you noticed, have you taken note the uptick in the popularity of sports cards collecting? Uh, it is at its most popular peak over the last two to three years since the junk wax era of the of the late 80s through the mid-90s. It is Incredible the amount of adults collecting baseball cards uh, over the last two to three years. I
2: can't. I am not an expert on that. I kind of follow it casually, but I was part of that first wave that you're talking about. Me too. I I remember how popular it was. In my case, in the 1980s, Um, I I can remember the feeling of just kind of you know going into the grocery store, the mini mart, or whatever, and and seeing those. For me, it was the tops baseball cards for a long time. And for a while, it was that really thick or, or that really thin, rather hard piece of uh, pink bubblegum <laughs> that, uh, you know, almost cut your tongue. The eight eight seven thing.
0: tops are some of the greatest baseball cards of all time right? with the wood trim on, looking on the uh, cards.
2: Yep. It is interesting to see that stuff coming back, though. And, man, some of the prices that I've seen are just off the charts. Well, they do some unique stuff now. You
0: know, back then, everything was overproduced. Now. You've got your mass-produced cards, but in those packs, there'll be cards that are one of 10, one of 100, autographs that are one of one. Uh, you, you might pull out a card that's got a piece of a player's jersey on it that's a one of one. So there's all kinds of unique inserts now, and that's the stuff that people are paying so much money for.
1: No it's doubt. fun to
2: watch. The the business in, the business businessman in me is intrigued by that kind of stuff. Unlike the the younger version of me, I've mostly stayed out of it this time.
1: Well, DG, thank you so much for coming on. And you've got a sabbatical coming up, the summer sabbatical, as I call it. Uh, But where can people find your work? We miss you on the radio and uh, broadcasting, but hopefully we can get you back there. But at least if nothing else, I know we can still read your articles.
2: Yeah, I'm still a guest somewhere almost every day. So if folks want to follow me in that regard on the radio, they can follow my Twitter handle, at David Glenn Show. And then in terms of online I still occasionally write for accsports.com, the website that I founded a long time ago. And I regularly write nowadays for a website called chapelboro.com, And they give me, a, you, you could actually Google, it's the, my column is called Holding Court with David Glenn. It's a little play on my legal background and, you know, court basketball, haha, ha, cute little play on words. Holding Court with David Glenn. I write about state of North Carolina sports issues. I write about of course the acc but any it's kind of my platform they, they give me a lot of freedom to tackle whatever interests me so um yeah i hope folks will check it out at, at uh, chapelboro.com that's the word chapel and then b-o-r-o.com or just go to my twitter handle and you'll see a link to it
1: there all right hope you have a great summer we'll have you back on before football season for sure and i uh, hope you have safe travels and we'll talk to you again soon my friend
2: Thanks, guys. Dave, Kyle, always good to be with you. Keep up the good work.
1: Thanks, All, right, All right, for Kyle and myself, Bubba producing in the background, I'm Dave Richmond. Until next time, as always, Go Pirates. My heart is purple and gold. I'm a